Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Oh, what a night. Watching Tottenham on a Tuesday night. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a What a Night part of the 90 Min Podcast Network. Here with me today to help break down uh, a 3-1 defeat at the hands of Liverpool are Jude Summerfield. Hello, how are you? Hi, yeah. Yeah, really good, thanks, mate. Good, you sound sound chipper. Uh, (laughs) Shawnee Walsh, sitting there with a huge smile on his face. Everything all right, Shawnee? I'm fine. (laughs) That's why you're crying. And and Dan Kilpatrick, (laughs) who was there last night to soak up some of the rain and soak up some of the entertainment on show. Um, Unfortunately for Spurs, it was actually Liverpool doing a lot of the entertaining. Do you know what? I'm not even going to give them that. I don't think Liverpool were that good yesterday. I'm going to throw it out there. I don't think they were magnificent. Um, so we'll get into the good, the bad, the ugly and the beautiful. But first off, um, the, the fallout from this one has been a little bit difficult to watch, I have to say. I don't know if, if you were following Jude last night on social, but it, it felt like it wasn't just a defeat last night, didn't it? It sort of became part of something a little bit bigger. Yeah, I think this sort of uh, this style over the last year or so is, is just grated on uh, a lot of the fan base. And when you kind of give yourselves like 15, 20 minutes to win a game each time you play, it's it's tough. And like, uh, I thought we started okay 15, 20 minutes, but I was literally just thinking before the game went, before the first goal went in, like we haven't created anything in a while and we're not, we don't, we don't look like doing anything at the moment. And then, and then obviously they scored. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was just seeing things coming through, like Serge Aurier leaving at halftime, um, and lots of people going moo out and bits and bobs like that. And you know, I think from what we've seen, you're fully entitled to uh, to think that way if that is uh, if that's what if, you're feeling. If you're that way inclined, yeah. uh, Dan, I suppose before we even get into the the kind of ins and outs of last night, we should probably try and get some sort of clear up of, of what happened. It does appear that it was the case that there was at least an incident in the changing room. Yeah, my understanding is that Serge Aurier left the stadium a half time after being substituted. I don't have clear details other than that, but I think we can assume that it was fairly heated. I mean, I, I don't imagine he kind of calmly put his suit on and said, cheers, Jose, but you know what? Have a good evening. <laughs> I've and left the iron on. You know, have, have, a, have a good one. Enjoy the second half, lads. Best of luck to you. you know, I, yeah, I, 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 can't, I can't see it being... Uh, yeah, I can't see it being really pleasant. So, yeah, I think we can safely say that there was, there was a fallout in, in the changing room and, and Aurier left as a result of that. Probably after he was told he, he was he was not going to come out for the second half, so that's not good. And, and I think anyone who watched the the documentary, you know, can, can kind of imagine how that played out, right? Because there were a couple of there were a couple of instances that were caught on camera that were in the Amazon documentary where Loris 
was that Son's throat, I think, during yeah. an Everton game. Mm-hmm. Um, Delhi stormed Smashing in a couple of times. Yeah. So we know, we know how these, these things work because we've kind of had a glimpse of that. And I Dan, think it was think just a more extreme version of this. Do you, do you think that it's now when you look back, do you think that it's good that we've seen that or do you think that it's bad that we've seen that? Well, I don't think it's a good thing that this this seems to be a recurring problem for Spurs or a recurring theme. Uh, it's not it doesn't scream harmonious dressing room to me. You know, it screams kind of tension and unhappy players and and a, and a bad vibe. Uh I can't really comment on whether it's good or bad that we've seen it. I mean, I like to see behind the scenes. I think everyone does. I think it's it's nice to to get a bit more access because we're we're kept at arm's length so often as both kind of punters and, and the media. Um, and ultimately, you know, the club had editorial control over that documentary, so they decided what we saw. And it may well be that there were there were other dressing room bust ups or more severe moments in the bust ups they did show us that that didn't make the final cut. But you know, I think generally this is this is not a good sign for Spurs, and it seems to be happening far too often so I'll, I'll put a pin in that one because I do want to come back to that and I, I think we probably should speak about that with a little bit more depth Shawnee just in terms of the actual overarching things that played out within the game I, I was actually a little bit shocked I suppose in terms of the way the game played out it didn't play out how we kind of predicted that it would in terms of Spurs really sitting in and, and, and sitting deep and soaking pressure and then counter-attacking, at least in the second half. I mean, in the first half, there was a, a fair amount of Spurs actually pressing quite high, being quite intense at the start, um, then dropping in, got knocked with the goal. And I I have to be honest, I, I found it quite hard to discern what, what we were trying to do in the second half. Yeah, it was really hard to have an idea what we're trying to do. Like, like you said, like in the first 20, 30 minutes, we came out, we were playing, just passing it nicely, we were getting out of the pitch. We weren't making that many chances, but we were just trying to be inventive with the ball. Um, but then when we were defending, it was not like we were backs to the walls either. I guess we couldn't because for the most part, the scoreline wasn't in our favour and it that kind of changes the match. And if Son's goal stands in the, the first couple of minutes, maybe it's a slightly different game, but... We can't keep relying on that, can we? We can't keep relying on one of the two best players in the league scoring early every single week, sitting in and expecting that to work. That can't be right. I saw a stat from Opto. It was like like the, the reliance on two goal scorers. Like right now, we're in like the top five in all t- in all time in the Premier League. And when you look at like the other sides that are on the list, like it's not a good list of sides. It's never good to be that reliant. And I don't even know, man. I'm just... It, it really rattled me, th- game. It really thing, rattled me. One thing I do want to sort of, just from watching your reaction, one thing that I I, I do sort of worry a little bit about is is perhaps how much defeat seemed to damage Spurs. Um, I'm, I'm seeing Jude smiling, and I'm assuming it's because your dog's about to howl because the third goal's just gone in for her. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just... It's just he brought up um, the Son early goal, and I don't think I've ever punched the air as hard for a goal during during lockdown over the last year, and then obviously got chalked off. So oh, yeah, <laughs> that annoyingly that does change the game. But by by the same token, I do just want to throw this out into the ether before we go into the good bits. 
I think Mauricio Pochettino's entire kind of um, reign at Spurs hinged on a on a like on a very big moment, or at least it changed on a very big moment when Son was offside by a nose hair against Leicester. If Spurs beat Leicester, the narrative switch there would have been enormous because Leicester were flying at the time and Leicester were the people that everyone talked about. We didn't get the goal. We didn't go on and win. Spurs lose that game and no one talks about that moment. Instead, they just talk about the uh, the kind of gradual descent. And I feel like that could have perhaps on some level just at least seen a, a slight change in direction. We all know we were nearing the end anyway, but it certainly would have changed the narrative at the time. And so I think though it's difficult to see Sonny's goal chalked off, um, it, it, we, we shouldn't get too distracted from the fact that in the second half, there was a, there were, there was a, uh, yeah, there was a, a performance there that hopefully we won't see again this season. Um, let's go into the good bits. Let's start with Hoybier because he was one player that, came out of his head held high, I thought. A brilliant goal um, and and a fairly fairly decent performance and a very physical performance as well at a time when you needed people to battle. I don't feel like he shirked that physical battle. Yeah, it was the kind of time when Spurs really needed a leader. They'd just lost Kane, gone 2-0 down. I think it would have been really easy for Heads to drop and I think Heads did drop after the third goal. But in that moment they really needed someone to step up and I and I was not at all surprised it was Hoiberg it just kind of speaks to his influence and role in the team that he was the player that almost kind of dragged Spurs back into the game even though that's not his job at all and you know he it's not really even his skill set to, to sort of shoot from there it just kind of underlined what uh talisman and, and, and kind of general he's become on the pitch Hopefully um, this was... so I think it was sorry go on that go on, come on. Well, hopefully this no, will put a bit gonna... of a smile on people's faces. But I, 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 like, were you aware of his weird, random shouting before last night? Just noises that he just makes. <laughs> no, enlighten me. So last night, at just random points, he just started just screaming, just yelling, but not saying anything. Just going, ah. Like after the, a couple of the <laughs> Liverpool goals, just like honestly, it was full like Rocky Balboa, like Adrian, kind of just yelling out to no one. But just, and I know it sounds ludicrous because at the end of the day, the shouting doesn't do anything. But you could hear last night with Liverpool, Jordan Henderson was non-stop every second of the game. He was mm. commentating on it, but he was organising and instructing throughout. And it felt like with Spurs, like Hoybier was the person you were looking at in terms of taking on that leadership role. Yeah, it's really unsurprising that he was made Saints captain pretty soon after he weren't there. He's a definite leader on the pitch. And you can just see it in the way he, he plays as well. You know, the way he kind of takes clever fouls for the team. Um, again, the way he, he just tried to, to drag the side back into the game when they needed it most last night. So, yeah, that, that was that was a, a small positive, I thought. Um and Spurs are going to need that more than ever if Kane's out for the next few weeks, which is what Mourinho suggested. Yeah, and I Hoiberg think... Is also the... Go on, Shawnee, go on. Hoiberg is also the one that does a lot of the Spurs TV interviews after we have a bad game. I've noticed that quite a bit now. Mm. And I feel like... Obviously, I'm grateful that we have like this kind of leadership figure, but I'm annoyed that some of the more senior players who have been in longer don't have that kind of need... They don't, they don't feel that kind of need to come out and 
explain it after those battles because i feel it's harder to come out and speak after a battle isn't it it's easy to come out after a win and just be like oh yeah we played well we're working towards this this and that but then surely what do you put that down to like what i know i'm asking you to speculate there and that's unfair of me but i just sort of in terms of getting your opinion on on why it plays out like that what do you what do you think that it is i think it's a bit hoiberg driving it himself i feel like he's the kind of guy to be determined to do it all the time um I don't know. I feel like I I don't even know anymore. I just because Mourinho has called out the players again. He's done this a few times, but he, he won't drop the players that he calls out. Like he'll always keep playing them and playing them and playing them, but they won't be the ones that go and speak to the cameras. They won't be the ones that come and really kind of answer for this stuff. Apart from Hoybjerg, who is usually the one who who can leave get these games with their head held high, and it's. I don't know. It just feels like it's just that's not right for that to be the case all the time. That's not the way it should work. I do also mm. just want to pick up on the the first half um, in general because there were good moments in there, Jude, weren't there? The first half, it felt like we took the game to Liverpool at the beginning. Yeah, it really did. And I like first five minutes, um, well, first twenty minutes, it was really end to end. And I thought, actually, looking back on the stats now, I thought we've got more shots away and. Turns out we only had three all game or something silly like that, um, but um, we we were we were looking dangerous on the counter, and you sort of thought maybe there'll be that pass over the top that might that might come off, um, but every time it was just getting flicked away by by Matip or he, or he was just a little quicker than Stevie Bergwijn to the loose ball. Um, but yeah, after that first twenty minutes, and then we, it was the only way we looked like creating chances was just with just hoiks over the top and that just seemed like a quite nasty little bit of foreshadowing and that we weren't creating anything there was no there's no player out there who was looking to get on the ball and properly create and Dombele had some like wonderful touches and a few like beautiful roulettes and I think he mugged off Thiago plenty of times that night um but we just didn't have any threat from out wide and you know it was just balls over the top looking for Son to latch onto it and Attacking said, threat just wasn't there. Having said that, Dan, I did feel like, at least in that first half an hour, I felt like Spurs were never more than a, a good pass in the final third away from Son being in. Was that was was I being perhaps yeah. overly overly positive? No, I think it was really open in the first half an hour, and I think the way the first half played out just made that goal on the stroke of half time all the more frustrating because it did feel like the kind of game where. The first goal would be so important. Both teams were having openings. Spurs, as, as Sean said, were pressing Liverpool a lot more than they did at Anfield and a lot more than they have done in most big games, which meant there was some joy for Spurs in the final third. But Liverpool were having a lot of openings and, and Mane had about four or five shots, I think, in the first half alone. So it was really open. It just felt like if Spurs got the first goal, you, you probably knew what was going to happen. They were going to retreat kind of five or six yards and, and play the way they have against, you know, City and, and Arsenal and Liverpool at Anfield. And if Liverpool got the first goal, then, you know, it would be a, an altogether tougher challenge, which which made conceding just on the, the very stroke of half time, the softest goal ever, where, oh. you know, four or five players were individually at fault for it. Just made conceding that goal so frustrating. And you can kind of see why tempers would have been 
high when they went into the dressing room because it was literally seconds before and it was such a bad one to let in but yeah i mean i, I agree I agree with you in that it could have gone either way in the first half and obviously the, the son decision was fractional he had a couple more openings one where he he took a, a decent first touch from dyer's pass and matip did very well to, to cover actually so it, that's what Mourinho wants to do, right? And and you know, again, it nearly worked. But but again, we've said it a hundred times on this podcast. It's a strategy that's based on on fine margins. And you know, but when when you've got those players at the back who are so error prone, it's it probably not going to go your way. Okay, let's do the the bad bits then, because I feel like we could be here a little while. Um, <laughs> there's there was there's a number of of things to look at, but I feel like that that goal on the stroke of half time, Shawnee. As Dan said, there were so many moments where that could have been prevented. So many different opportunities to prevent it. Yeah, it was, what was it? We had none of the five defenders were in line with each other, including Ben Davis way far back playing Mane on. Ball comes in. Um, Dio Lloris, one of them's got to get it. One of them's got to just do something they both leave it to go right across the corner of certainty it's the easiest tapping Firmino's ever going to have it they're all just kind of standing around not taking charge of it not taking ownership of it and they're, they're all expecting the, fl- that the flag to go up and they're moaning at the linesman and the ref and you just <sighs> I don't know like but what can we what can we <laughs> even say anymore about about this kind of defending. Oh my god! What do you do? do you, the defensive unit. I love that Sean's it's having like a genuine kind of existential crisis here. When we get proper times, I don't want to say. When we when we get to the ugly, I, I'm I'm very very prepared. I'm very prepared. Okay. facts. Yeah, I'm ready to take some stats. Yeah, I I mean, dude, second half is another bad one. I think you just second half. I'm. Mm-hmm. I I don't again I'm I'm not someone that would want to go and be slagging off individuals and also I'm not someone who would sit here and just have a go at Jose Mourinho but I think at the same time when there are poor decisions it's okay to say maybe Jose just got it wrong yesterday the substitutions at half time to me I didn't look at that and go Spurs are turning this one around they felt quite strange just in terms of the the sort of the 11 that he put out for the second half. Yeah, it was odd. I didn't really understand where our focal point in attack was going to be. It ended up being Son through the middle and that sort of just completely negated him throughout the rest of the game. I don't think he had much of a sniff in the second half. Um, he's so reluctant to stick Vinicius on. Um, and at that in the second half at that point when Liverpool had John Henderson and Nat Phillips at centre-back, there really needed to be a lot of pressure or like attempt to put a load of pressure on those two center backs. So that can be like, I can see you're all like laughing and it's, it's just like, it seems so basic, but stick like your big six, two or six, one striker on the pitch and try and like bring him into the game to create a little bit of havoc. I know he had a poor game against Marine, but like, I'm not really sure what Eric Lamella was supposed to, you know, create out there. <laughs> It's just a bit exasperating. Use the striker you've got on the pit on the bench and see if you can, you know, get a goal back. Yeah, it's it's really strange because it almost feels like Spurs aren't in a much better position now than when Kane was injured last January. 
like that Son had to fill in then and then obviously Son and Bergwijn got injured as well which, which exacerbated the situation made it so much worse and then and Dom and Dombele wasn't part of the, the setup really so it's a different scenario but still like Vinicius has had so little game time in the Premier League he's played 25 minutes so far this season that obviously he can't really be expected to start at Brighton now but if there was any kind of foresight you would have expected Kane to to have got an injury at some point and actually it looks like, and this is touching wood massively here, but it does look like Spurs have kind of got away with it in that it doesn't look like he's done ligament damage to his ankles this time, given that he played on for the final ten minutes. I mean that that may, you know, that may emerge in, in the scans or whatever tomorrow. But as it stands, it looks like a less severe ankle injury or ankle injuries than in previous seasons. So, so, but but look. Kane always does this. Something always happens to him around this time of the year. So not kind of betting in Vinicius now suddenly looks like like a bit of a mistake. Um, and not bringing him on yesterday, you know, at any point, you know, was, was a weird one. I mean, I'm not sure what, what Winks and Lamella were supposed to do. I, I do think Jose got those subs wrong. I mean, even Bale being given just 15 minutes. I mean, presumably he had a bit of confidence after scoring against Wickham. Mourinho said afterwards he wasn't really fresh enough to play more than he did, but you know, still, twenty-five minutes, twenty minutes, just, just just a bit longer, just just to give Phillips and Henderson something different to think about because they they, they were they were handling Son without the supply line from Kane, you know, with not much difficulty. Yeah, and 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 the question remains there for me as well. We Gareth, we've seen Gareth Bale play through the middle. You know, we've seen him play successfully through the middle. Son was being negated and, and was very much, the game was gone, gone done. Just to pick you up on that, Jose said post-match, the quotes have just come out, um, that, that Bale has, has effectively said he doesn't want to play anywhere but the right wing, which I thought was quite interesting. So I asked him if Bale could play as a striker because he's looked quite lively in the box and that's obviously a debate we've had on the pod before. And he said that when he came, uh, Bale had said he's not a number 10, he's not a left winger, he, he wants to play off the right. So Mourinho said that's where Bale would play. So uh, my guess would be it'll be Bale from the right, Bergwijn from the left and, and Son up front against uh, Brighton. Wow. I mean, or that's... possibly Lamella. That's, I mean, phenomenal <laughs> ITK there from, from a tier one source, a gold medal around his neck. <laughs> <laughs> but it just it does sort of almost to me that feels like another little thing that maybe just isn't quite right you, you sort of at this stage it's kind of you you fill in where you're needed you know and last night we very much needed someone to play through the middle and be good up front at, at stretching the line winning headers bringing the ball down and bringing others into play so um shawnee you, you you said you you had your your ugly bits ready to smash out of the park what have you got for us <laughs> mm. so i'll for the purposes of the podcast i will read the spreadsheet that i made earlier <laughs> <laughs> so, oh that is i, ta- I went through <laughs> Mike, all of sean in he comes <laughs> i went through all of jose Mourinho's 68 games in charge of spurs tallied the result and if we played well so 68 games in all comps 36 wins 17 draws 15 losses, a win rate of 52.94%. 68 games, we played well in 31 of them. So we played well in 45.6% of our games. Shawnee, what now, are you using as your metric for played well? 
eye test, purely eye test. Do I think that the old, we the old noodle? Did either, did, we, did we deserve to win? Good. Did we play to at least like the minimum kind of expectation that you expect us? And honestly, the, the there is a stark difference between a good Spurs performance and a bad Spurs performance in this. And okay. I was even being fair. I was even being fair to Mourinho because I know his fanboys are like. So that. give us an example of a, of a performance that you thought maybe we played well in, but we didn't win. For example. I think the Liverpool away game last month was probably right. the standout okay. fixture of those. But then you got, so the flip side of that, the, the game we won but didn't play well, maybe um, one of the Orton games, so the West Brom game or the yeah. Brighton game or the Burnley game or, yeah. yeah so if it's on my Twitter if you it's want to go through. Go and check it out on Shorty Twitter. But sorry, go on, Sean, I interrupted. Yeah. You, you, you're okay, saying so, that you tallied it up. Yeah, 45 Premier League games. 21 wins, 12 draws, 12 losses, win percent, 46.7%. We played well in 18 of those 45 games, so 40%. Overall, Jose's won 75 points, 1.67 points per game, less than Sherwood, 63.3 points per 38-game season, which is probably Spurs' lowest tally in a, in a long time, considering we're usually top five, top six. Um and it even got even got me to the point where when I was trying to go to bed last night, where I got out this my really my really nice journal. I want to say thanks to Katie for giving me the about your paper. I don't usually like <laughs> stuff in it. I was writing a lot of stuff in it last night about football. Oh my god! First line was is Jose dumb? I don't I don't want to go that far, but please sort it out. Mate. This is the There's most whole... emo the pod has ever got. This, uh, like, I've got <laughs> to go consult my some... journal. I mean that is yeah. we've gone we've gone it, and the, Dan, you're right. We've gone existential here. The the final line, which kind of just sums it up, is this is the kind of the way I feel about the style of play and all that kind of stuff. If you're amending your diet in order to lose weight or to gain muscle or whatever, then it's kind of acceptable that you sometimes won't necessarily enjoy the meals you're eating because they'll just be bland or you're forcing things down to be nutritious. But if you're eating these bland meals that are meant to make things better and they just taste like shit, then why are you going to keep eating them? Anyway, I mean, thanks for coming to my TED talk. <laughs> it's very my chemical romance, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I do think, Sean, I do like the analogy, though. I do think that's a really interesting analogy that you made at the end. Because the idea would be, right, is that if you go on a, if you go on a, like, if you're slamming back protein shakes and you absolutely mm. hate the taste of them, but they're making you physically bigger, better, more muscular, you think, the God, I'll, good. Keep, I'll keep choking this down. If you're slamming down protein shakes and all that happens is that you get fat, you probably won't have them. Um, so I think, I, 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 <laughs> long story short, I think uh, I think to read between the lines there, what you're saying is that things perhaps do need to change in terms of the way we're approaching games, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in, that was very much in short. Um, any other, any other kind of like extension on on Sean's there, thoughts there, Jude? Um, are you same boat, or do you see it slightly differently? Um, I yeah, I'm, I'm same boat. You know, I might take um take the emotion out of it a little bit. Sorry, Sean. I'm not quite. I'm more feeder than my Chemical Romance. I'm, <laughs> it's, not, it's, not, it's not quite as emo. Um, <laughs> I just think I'd love Tottenham to have like a tactic in possession when they have plenty of the ball. Um, what I thought we saw in towards the end of that second half was Liverpool pressing a lot, a lot more, um, and Tottenham just being sort of shit scared and not really knowing 
how to break them down at all, or, or who to give the who to give the ball to, or who's making runs. And I think it just needs to be a little more to the team than let's shit house the opposition or let's <laughs> set up for the opposition and exploit their weaknesses. I know we come back to it a million times, but like it's just. Try to play to our strengths, whatever they are. I've forgotten them over the last year and a half. <laughs> There's got to be a few. Yeah, I, Dan, the, the thing that caught me yesterday, like, and I mean, obviously now knowing what we know about the kind of goings on at half time, the, the strategy in the second half, the formation in the second half, I just thought didn't look that sensical. But if you add into that, that players were coming out for the second half not in the right headspace, that's a pretty ugly addition, isn't it? Yeah, and I think in hindsight, you you can see that the players weren't focused at the start of the second half. Obviously, the Alexander-Arnold goal was so sloppy and Lloris apparently being involved in the half-time heated discussions, we say. I mean, I, I don't know that for sure, but I mean, as the captain and as someone, again, who we've seen on the documentary being much more vocal in the dressing room than he appears to be kind of on the pitch or, or in the media, then it wouldn't be a surprise if he, if he was involved. You know, he obviously was, was at fault for that, for that second goal. So yeah, that, that was a bad look. Um, I mean, look, I, one thing I want to say, just because I've written an article on it today and I want to plug it. Um, Not in is your journal? I think <laughs> I, I, I sketched it in my journal, you know, last night, very angrily, just staying up with a, with a kind of, bottle of whiskey with some <laughs> Slipknot playing just kind of <laughs> um, people equals shit on life. <laughs> uh, no it's, it's, it's actually on the Evening Standard website and, and paper but uh, I think one thing I want to say is that I, I do think the area where I feel most sympathy from, from Mourinho is, is when it comes to the personnel and defence like, I think I think he's damned if he does and, and damned if he doesn't because actually Spurs' defensive record wasn't bad when he was really leaving the handbrake on. You know, it, it was kind of working, but the football was so insipid and, and boring and just not anything like the kind of kind of club ethos of trying to pass the ball and go forward. And I think he, he tried to take the handbrake off a little bit against Liverpool. He tried to press their defence, which is obviously pretty makeshift, and, and the, the defenders just cracked and were, and were really exposed. And I think... Part of this is on Mourinho. You know, he's, he, it's his job to pick the right players. It's his job to settle on a system. It's his job to coach them and improve them. And, and none of that seems to have happened. But equally, I think that there's been a lot of mismanagement in the back. And really, uh, Reguilon was the first upgrade in defence since Alderweireld in 2015, which is kind of startling, really, if you think about it. But no one has come in to improve on the players already there. And that includes Doherty and, and Roden this summer as well since, uh, I think, Alderweireld, um, apart from Reguilon. So, yeah, Mourinho's been dealt a tough hand there, but I don't think he's playing it particularly well at the moment. Yeah, I, I, I suppose we should point out that he, he also said about Roden that he felt it was unlucky yesterday. And I and I tend to agree with that. One bad decision over the course of the evening and, mm. and he was punished. And that shows the difference in level, right? Yeah, and he, and he saved the goal in the first half. If he hadn't put that tackle in on Mane, then I don't think Mane's missing that one. He's, he's seven or eight yards out and he's about to pull the trigger. So he saved the goal. And, and again, it's it's when you're when the 
more experienced players around you are losing their heads and making mistakes left, right and centre. And when you're facing a team like Liverpool, who even off form are pretty relentless and they're going to put you under kind of sustained pressure and keep putting good balls in the box and getting good positions, then it's it's not that surprising that, that you make one mistake and, and they punish it. So, yeah, I did feel sympathy for him. And Mourinho said he's definitely going to play against Brighton. And it'd just be interesting to see if he sticks with the, the back three or, or goes to a four. Because imagine Aurier's going to be dropped, I guess. <laughs> Regulon's out for a month, so he's down to possibly down to two fullbacks. Uh, so the options are play Davis as a wing back, or um, or put out and put Alderweireld in there, or, or maybe move someone like I don't know, you know, Tissoko to to right wing back with Tanganga. But you know, there's not not great options suddenly. Yeah, and I think. Some we haven't mentioned. Dotty had a had a rough night at the office, didn't he? He had a. It's been a rough night at the office yeah, every yeah, night for him so far. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it, he did. Um, it just it, for me the thing that I, he. Sorry, go on, Dan. Go. On. Well, I was going to say I, I checked this morning if Spurs could recall Sessegnon and, and they can't. Not not that I thought it was likely, but I, I wondered if it was going to get so desperate that, they, that Mourinho might fancy bringing him back. But yeah, listen, not an option. I kind of get the feeling that Sessegnon's in as good a place as he could possibly be right now. Do you know what I mean? I think sort of in terms well, of his... not at Tottenham. <laughs> in, terms of, <laughs> in terms of the environment, he's he's performing pretty well, and uh, mm. for me, I just want to see him keep getting as much game time as possible in the best atmosphere that he can be in. And you get the impression that maybe last night would have been. It would have been the sort of evening that he might have, he might have been in a very very difficult position, much like Roden, right? Young and inexperienced, yeah. and suddenly facing yeah. that that very very difficult evening. Um, uh, on the beautiful side, so we've mentioned Roden having a having a good game. Also, we mentioned earlier on there was there was a couple of moments from Tangy that were enough to kind of uh, enough to bring a smile to my face in the first half. I'm, I'm assuming everyone saw the the kind of weird pirouette that he did, where the ball never seemed to leave his feet. Yeah, it was pretty pretty delicious. Um, so <laughs> scrapping it, scrapping the bones here. Um, but yeah, I mean, he he's just a player who just needs a ton more of the ball, and we need to be able to give him that platform to do that sort of thing um, and create space for us. He just um, just in the moments he did have the ball, he obviously he rarely lost it, and he did create those bits of space. There was I don't think he came up with the final ball um, particularly often, but yeah, the pirouettes and. Yeah, getting on the half turn, he he was brilliant at that. He was like him and Hoiberg were just a little overrun, just with those two in midfield. But yeah, he did as definitely. well as he could have, I think. Let's um, let's look ahead. So we've got a huge week coming up now, like a, a almost worryingly big week because there's the opportunity to put things right, but also suddenly this game against Brighton feels massive. The game against Chelsea feels massive. The game against West Brom feels enormous as well um opportunity to put things right sean or are you nervous about brighton this weekend the thing with brighton is that they're the most useless team in the league so <laughs> can if we win and it's yeah. like great we're routine <laughs> but if we if we don't win then it's like oh god this is really the end isn't it um kind of poetic that this was kind of the turning point for well like this was this fixture last year was like, yeah. God, I didn't even think about it's that. It's done. So that is... hopefully, I want ultimately, mm. I want really to be a success here, but he's got to start showing some more signs. And if we don't win at Brighton, then you've got to really question 
in the long run, what's the benefit of it? So hopefully we can go to Brighton and we can smash them up like we know we can. There's been a couple of good perform- really good performances this season against teams in the bottom half. So hopefully the handbrake comes off a little bit now that we can't rely on two people. We like, I don't think, surely he can't go even more kind of dependent on one player. In some, surely that's mm, that can't get well, you say more. That. <laughs> sure, no, I, I do want to pick. Let, let me just pick on something there. So, the last time we we had lost in the league, we'd had our two duds against Liverpool and Leicester. Well, I mean, the game against Liverpool we were all right, but we'd had a poor performance against Palace, right? We then go on a, a fairly decent run. The draw against Wolves is not ideal. The draw against Fulham not ideal either. But aside from that, it's what six wins out of the last eight games with the two draws going into the game against Liverpool. Why is it that last night was? Why is it that it's so heavy? Because when we don't play well, we lose. Then the, the performance. It's not like it's not like it's even close to being good performance. It's so 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 poor like under it's it's only comparable to under Sherwood at AVB like it was never this bad when you lost like in a normal way under Poch or Yole or Redknapp or whatever like it's, it was just kind of a loss oh we'll pick ourselves up we'll go again next week now it's just like what I don't see any blueprint for success in what we're doing it's just the contrast is just so and we knew that that's what we were going to get with Marina, wasn't it? Like we said, when you're winning, it's good, but if you're losing, it's bad because that is just his philosophy. And when you lose, it's, it's a really bad loss, and it's not. It doesn't really inspire anything out of you. Sort of does look like as well. We're we're starting to see this season. We're actually going to get the play out of that hypothetical that other fans loved to throw at Spurs fans. Would you give up top four for a trophy? Would you give up that, this? That for is a what trophy? Mourinho's reign has been now. That is, it, it's just it, it's now based on hypotheticals. Well, what what could Spurs do if this this and this? Would you take coming twelfth place if it means you win a Carabao Cup really luckily and you don't do anything, you lose your best players in the summer? Ugh, we're going to find out. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad the people are happy that they get to see the hypotheticals played out and we get to watch really bad football every week. Good for you. <laughs> sure, do you like? The, I, I feel like this this Liverpool performance is is definitely. Uh, it's not just a Liverpool performance. There's the whole season sort of coming to a head there. Dan, is it is that what what I just said fair in terms of that perhaps like the losses are being felt more heavily than the wins are being felt as as exciting that we won. Yeah, I think so. I think as Sean said, I'm going to repeat what Sean said, but in just less extreme form. I think um, it's frustrating when you don't. When, when you've got a project manager like Pochettino, for instance, and you can see what, what, what the team is trying to do, it's less frustrating when you lose. But I think under Mourinho, it is all about the result. And you know we do know what the team is trying to do, I guess. But yeah, there, there isn't really a kind of long-term strategy in place. It, I guess it feels more game to game. So, I mean, you put it well a while ago in the pod. You said, you know, it's, it's just a re- all about results now. Um, and I think that's that's true. Um, I think this result has hit particularly hard, I guess, because the gap to Liverpool was supposed to be narrowing. Um, if it's felt like the last three or four games before this one, probably um, certainly the last two, Spurs have actually got a lot closer to Liverpool. They play quite well, and they, they've maybe been a bit unlucky um, in certain incidents. You know, the, the Firmino header, obviously the own goal. 
uh, at Anfield a couple of years ago. So it's it's felt like the the gap has, has really been narrowed, and that's a sign of progress, I suppose. But but yesterday it, there was a chasm between the sides, I think, tactically, and Liverpool could not have been that more there for the taking. Really, they had you know two completely inexperienced centre half playing centre half in the second half. They were on a terrible run. They just lost United in the cart. They couldn't hit a barn door, and when we saw that reflected in their lack of confidence in the first kind of half an hour. Um, so it was all there for Spurs. So I think those factors have made this defeat kind of harder to take. Get my punchy. Right, God, you give us some, give us some uplifting confidence coming into this game against Brighton. Well, I, I think Brighton are probably one of the teams we'd want to face after a defeat like this. To be honest, because um, they will. I mean, regardless of how we've played in recent weeks, they will get on the ball. They will try and like play through lines, and they're happy. Um, having large amounts of possession and like I've been to a few of their games this season they're shocking in front of goal they just are um, and you know Spurs luck would be that Neil Morpé goes and bags a hat trick. yeah I mean they were poor <laughs> in front of goal they were but, poor they're poor against Fulham weren't they um, against Fulham as well um, I think I can't they when I went to see them play West Brom they absolutely dominated them and ended up conceding a 78th or 80th minute equaliser and it finished 1-1 so it should be a game if we're gonna if we are well I say if we're going to when we sit back and get those chances to break um, we just need to make sure that we're we're clinical and put a few away and uh, have a have a two goal lead by the 80th minute (laughs) uh, I'm praying I'm praying that we're sitting here with a little bit more positivity next week Uh, sorry for if we brought you down today but there wasn't too many redeeming features. <laughs> there wasn't too many redeeming features in that game. We'll be back with a little bit more positivity next week. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Dan, Jude, and Sean. Um, yeah, make sure you subscribe if you haven't already. Check out uh, all the other content on the 90 Minute Podcast Network. Some great stuff in there as well. And check out the guys on social. We'll see you all next time. What a feeling, what a When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.